This is Edge of the Box, a podcast brought to you by whoscored.com. Hello, welcome back to Edge of the Box, a podcast by whoscored.com in association with Bet Victor. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined as ever by one of those Who Score guys, Martin Lawrence. And this week, in Jonathan Wilson's absence, we've got Nubaid on with us. I'll tell you what, you are on everything at the moment, but it's a big job stepping into Jonathan's shoes, especially in this podcast, as he is my mentor and hero. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, pressure's on. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm buzzing to get going, to be fair. You sent me a message earlier this week, and uh, I can't remember exactly what you said. I think you messaged me saying, you're everywhere. But it was almost like, this is the big one. And I was like, like oh, man, huge. Is on. <laughs> Absolutely huge. You've never known intense pressure like this, let, let me tell you. You can do whatever you want, but this will be the biggest pressure you've ever faced. <laughs> Martin, are you good? Yeah, very well, thank you. Very well. Good. I know you enjoyed last week my... I always get like mentions of who I look like, and I'm, I'm not a big fan of... For some reason, I look like a lot of people. Tinder Swindler is the latest one, and I've had three three people now. Saying I look like the Tinder swindler, so I'm not a big fan of that. But yeah, other than that, I'm doing all right, thank you. I'm imagining you've never been on Tinder either. I have not. No, yeah, no, I haven't Rob, either. I've never done Tinder. No bad. You ever been on Tinder? I haven't, but uh, <laughs> Martin, you do. You do look like a little bit like a <laughs> swindler. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> right, Tinder swindler. Let's have a look at the Premier League team of midweek. Let's see what that is. As you'd expect, there's quite a few goal scorers in there. You'll be pleased to see there's a few villains in there, Dan. Uh, we'll start in goal. Uh, it's Martin Dubravka in goal. Obviously, Newcastle came away with another win at Southampton. Maybe a bit fortunate this time uh, to get it. Dubravka had to make four saves to, to earn a, a 2-1 win and was solid in goal. Uh, Matty Cash is the right back. Goal and an assist against Leeds. He's in flying form. He's had a direct hand in five goals in his last six games under Gerrard. Uh, and he'd only had a direct hand in one goal in 21 games before that in the league. And I think we're seeing sort of what we did at Rangers uh, with Gerard's sort of fullbacks getting involved in the attacking play. It was James Tavernier or Tavernier, I don't know how you pronounce it, but his numbers in, <laughs> at Rangers are absolutely insane. It's like he's messy playing from right back. But hopefully Matty Cash becomes that, the Polish Cafu, in great form. Uh, Centre-back pairing is two goal scorers, Callum Chambers with an absolute wonder goal. Uh, and Trevor Chalaber, who who opened the scoring against Norwich last night. Left back, another villain, but playing at Newcastle. Matty Target, they're loving him there. Uh, any upgrade, it's not too difficult to be an upgrade on what their fullbacks were, but he's he's really settled in well. I think if the if the reports that there's a fee agreed already at, at only around fifteen million pounds for that that deal to go through permanent. It's a slight loss on Villa's part. That would surprise me. Yeah, um, I'm not saying he should be a lot more than that, but I, I'd have thought Villa could push for something closer than closer to the 20 mark. But there we go. It does look like he'll be off permanently in the summer. Uh, we've got a Christmas tree formation. Nice. Uh, so the three in midfield is uh, Neves at the base, who scored again in midweek in a thrashing win over over Watford. Mason Mount, goal and assist in that Norwich win. And Bruno, Bruno Guimaraes, uh, who scored a stunning back heel. I don't know if you've seen it, that flick, uh, which was the match winner in that game. His first start for Newcastle. They're really excited. They're, like, they've seen his potential now. They're really excited about him. And it, it'll be interesting to see if he kicks on now. And then the two behind the striker, Daniel Pedence and Coutinho, who obviously both scored again. So lots of goals in this team. And another goal scorer leading the line, Kai Havertz, goal and an assist, I believe, in the win over Norwich. 
So that's Dubravka, Cash, Chambers, Chalaba, Target, Mount, Neves, Gimarish, uh, Pedence, Coutinho, Havertz. The goalkeeper and one outfield player that didn't score in that team. If my calculations yeah. <laughs> are correct. Obviously, scoring goals helps you get into the same of the week, no bad. Yeah, I mean, Callum Chambers sneaking in there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Spending too much time with Coutinho for Callum yeah. Chambers. Oh, that, that finish was absolutely outrageous. Um, I wouldn't have him down as like one of the most technical centre-backs in the world either, or defenders. Um, and the technique was just unreal. Don't know whether he'd make my team of the week, but that's just me. <laughs> he also got an outrageous assist on Saturday against Southampton. Well, yeah, the outside pre-assist, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that ball. Oh, yeah. Yeah, incredible. I, honestly, yeah. Coutinho is really rubbing off on the Villa players. But as much as I'd like to sit here all day and talk about Aston Villa, that is not what we're here to do. We're going to start with Manchester United v Tottenham, the Michael Carrick derby. Nabade, Ronaldo. Can we now categorically state that re-signing Ronaldo was a mistake? I mean, Jonathan's going to wish he was here for this one. He's going to love talking <laughs> about this. But does he go down now as, a, as an error on their behalf? I mean, again, I think he scored 15 in 30 appearances. So from his point of view, he'll say he's doing the job. But... There's something not right with that mix. I think there's just generally something wrong at United, first of all. Whether I'd put the blame on Ronaldo, it's really difficult to blame someone who still happens to be their top scorer. So it's, it's like a bit of a a bit of a situation where you want to say Ronaldo could be doing more for the team because, of course, if United press better, and that would mean Ronaldo was to press better, they'd arguably be a better team. Now, have we seen them play without Ronaldo and press better. I don't think we have, actually. Uh, we obviously saw Bruno and Pogba play as two false nines against Manchester City, and that was an awful choice. It felt like an, an all-right one for 10 minutes, but it was always going to go wrong. Ronaldo on his own, I think if if United fans knew when they signed Ronaldo, they were buying a guy who's going to give them moments. So you're going to get, like, the Villarreal moment, the Atalanta moment. They all happen to be in the Champions League. Um, the Newcastle moment. I think you're you're satisfied, but if you thought you were getting Ronaldo and he was going to turn you into a, a Premier League winning team, a, a Champions League winning team, and drag you over the line for if it was a top four, whatever it is, that is definitely not the case because he just doesn't have that ability anymore. Um, and if you watch PSG against uh, Real Madrid, you would have seen that Messi is also struggling as well. It's one of those things, these guys are just a lot older now mm. and physically it's just very, very demanding. So um, I wouldn't say it's like... Uh, a, a finished conclusion that he's been a terrible signing. I just don't, I don't know where I'd put it. If, if someone was to say, like, where would you rate that out of 10? I'd just put it at five. I don't, don't have a massive issue. Yeah. I don't really think it's a great deal either. I, I think if you asked him about it, Martin, I think he'd probably have regrets. I think if he could turn back time, Ronaldo, I don't think he'd make the transfer himself. People that are watching this show for the first time might think, like, hindsight's a wonderful thing and they're just... But if you look back, Jonathan and I were both pretty skeptical skeptical about this move. And I think it was so, it was so, always a lot more... about me. I was the only one that was sat there. Buzzing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was always for me down to what that sort of effect would have on the team as a whole in the dressing room, off the pitch. You you know when you sign Ronaldo, there's an inevitable power shift in that dressing room, mm. and obviously that's proven to be a little bit toxic now. They couldn't have forecast that that would necessarily be the case, but you know that that's going to happen. And I think I just thought what they did last season was really underrated. Like the job that Solskjaer did last season, second in the league, they've already lost more games this season than they did last season. Only lost six games last season, which is pretty impressive. Not sure that really got the sort of credit it deserved, and maybe 
people just thought Solskjaer was kind of winging it a bit, not sort of the tactical masterclass, but just relying on individual quality. But they did have that already. And they'd, they'd sort of built a front line that I thought was actually beginning to click. Like um, Cavani had a, had a really good end to the season. He looked really pumped. He was staying for another season. He's now understandably been a, got seems to be a bit miffed by what's happened. Rashford's development stalled, and that's that's another thing. It was it was always going to be a blocker to progress for the youngsters. They'd already signed Sancho. They've got Rashford there. They had Greenwood. Obviously, they couldn't couldn't predict what would happen there but but yeah it was always going to block someone at some point and that's happened and and yeah I just think it looks like a poor signing for that more than anything not necessarily his form on the pitch which obviously of late hasn't been good but just it this was always a predictable outcome maybe not to this scale but the there was always going to be a shift the flip side of that must have been they've bought in a, a winner, a serial yeah. winner. So, like, it could have gone either way, I think. I think, like, had he come in and hit the ground running, and I think also if the other characters in that dressing room could match up with his profile, then they could be going in the right direction. But I think, is- I think we've seen that at other clubs that sort of some players have failed to do that and they've sort of shrunken into themselves within Ronaldo. Certainly at Juventus, they did sort of regress over time while he was there. The likes of Dybala really went sort of missing and you will get that some some players will rise to it and some players will sort of shirk a little bit of responsibility and and that's a character flaw within the squad undoubtedly but it is a risk that they they knew they were taking it is it's, but it was almost like impossible for united not to sign him because he couldn't yeah, have gone anywhere that. else and so had united not signed him and he went to whoever in the premier league whether it's man city where whoever it was United fans would have absolutely hated it. And so, like, for the vibes... Um, yeah, Ronaldo, for the fans, I, think, I get it. Yeah, 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 it felt like it made a lot of sense. And I think a lot mm. of them now will be thinking, we still have a serial winner in there. He will get you goals in the Champions League. He's got six in six in the Champions League, and he's got a knack for it. He just loves that competition. If, if you offered United fans now, you just get Ronaldo for the Champions League over the Premier League, they'd go, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll have him yeah. for that part-time contract. Um, yeah. It just some, something's not right at that club fundamentally, um, yeah. and then when you bring in someone who's the boss, basically, um, then you're going to have issues. I was going to say, you know, Champions League. Yeah, you can't argue with his record, but in essence, him being good in the Champions League is utterly useless for Manchester United because they're not going to win it. They need. They need. <laughs> and they're the not going to be there next season. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're not going to be there next season. So it's, it's pointless in performing in the Champions League. They need him to do it in the Premier League. I think they obviously sensed an opportunity to get him, but I think Martin's right at the, what he said at the start. I think he kind of went against everything that they were building towards previously. They obviously sensed an opportunity with Varane as well. He's likely to be back available for this game. Nabade, if you were the manager. Would he be coming in for Maguire or would he be coming in for Lindelof? Oh, I was watching Harry Maguire last week with my mouth wide open. I honestly can't believe how bad he is at the moment. I would bring him in for both, man. I'd play with one left defender. <laughs> <laughs> asking me to choose between Maguire and Lindelof is like asking me whether I want my car robbed or my house robbed. Um, it's honestly, like with all due respect to both, they're obviously professional footballers that play for Manchester United and they are good footballers. But right now, Neither of them are playing well. I mean, Lindelof for the for the first City goal, I don't even know why he sprints out to close down. I think it was Bernardo Silva when there's two Manchester United players out there. And then the Foden goal, the ball goes over his head and he literally just stops. Not to say that if he launched himself back in, he was going to do anything. Um, 
but an extra body in there. You just want to see a bit of ambition. On the flip side, Maguire for that um, the second De Bruyne goal, he opens his legs in the box. <laughs> you could have just put it out for a corner. Like yeah. I saw someone tweet me saying, it's just a natural reaction. It comes at him quick. I was like, surely your natural reaction in the box is kick it out for a corner. Yeah, and not, you know, why, why are you holding R2 and letting it go through your legs? It like, honestly <laughs> made no sense to me. And um, I, 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 if, if Varane's even 70% fit, you're throwing him in for this game because this game is absolutely huge for Manchester United. Um, whether it's Maguire or Lindelof, unfortunately, I'm hoping Martin has a, a more concise answer to what I have. I cannot pick between the two. Is Eric Bailly injured? He's usually injured. Usually, I don't, I don't know, actually. I'm not sure if he is. Any centre-back at Manchester United must be watching, thinking, how bad must I be? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, like, on the Maguire subject, something that might come into consideration is is the opponent and who they're facing. And this fixture last season, he got absolutely torn apart. And that was alongside Bailly, for what it's worth. Um, that was his worst ever rating in the Premier League was against Tottenham in this fixture last season. Of his, of his worst 10 ratings, I looked into them in the Premier League. Seven of them have come this season, uh, which just shows how far he's fallen, really. I really liked, um, shout out to Kevin Hatchard, who who um, sort of described his performance against Phil Foden as a bear lumbering after a kite. Really enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he's, he's just in, he's in really poor form. It's really, it, it does seem like something where he maybe needs to be taken out of the firing line a little bit, but then it's all the messages that are going on in the dressing room, that makes that more difficult because uh, if you take him out, does it look like you're siding with one? Uh, it's just, it's, a, it's a really difficult sort of political decision to make almost. Um, so yeah, defeat to City was, that's only the fourth time United have conceded more than twice in a game this season, which I found quite surprising. Varane has missed all of those games, so I completely agree. Even if he's not 100% fit, he has to play. The only other thing they might consider is do they play a back three in this game? Like, it's not something that... They did that against uh, Spurs earlier, done, but they did it in the reverse fixture yeah. and they won 3-0. Tottenham didn't have a single shot on target in that game and that's the only game that Maguire, Lindelof and Varane have all started together. So it might be something he considers. I doubt it, but certainly against an informed Kane and Son, it's, it's worth thinking about. I think matching up against Conte is a massive risk for him. He's, like, yeah. he's, like, he's the master of playing mm. with a back three and against a back three. Um and also with Lindelof and Maguire being so out of form, I don't know if I think Shaw's Having still two, ill. Yeah. So like if Shaw's not playing, you've got Tellers on that left side. I think Shaw actually plays the left wing back role really well. And then on the opposite side, and Wan Bissaka, I mean, again, like Dallow's come back and must think like I'm, I'm the best right back in the world because <laughs> yeah. there's, no, there's no competition there. Um I, I just think for this fixture, United even even against City, like a lot of people were saying you were they were so positive. I mean, they didn't actually have a chance. They just kept the ball for a bit longer than what they normally would against City. In this in this game, I think it's going to be a bit of a game of chess. Like United will keep the ball, and that will also invite Spurs to play the way they want to play. Whoever, like, I feel like whoever surrenders the ball in this game will probably win. They won't be surprised if the ball just stays in the same place for long periods of the game because neither team actually is very good in possession. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure what's going to get clipped up and put on socials in this podcast, but I can sense who scored are going to lose a follower this week. Harry Maguire. <laughs> I, know, I know it's early in the week that he followed who scored. He, he definitely does, yeah. will not be following who scored <laughs> after this podcast. And Martin, someone who I've had a lot of fun with on this podcast previously, is Emerson Royale. It feels like all we do is slate people on this podcast. It's not usually what we do, but Emerson Royale, I've had a go yeah. at him a few times on this podcast. Matt Doherty's yeah. suddenly getting some football for Spurs. 
Yeah. He's doing all the things you'd want a right wing back to do. Looks very, very dangerous, contributing to goals and assists on good form. Yeah, well, he's a wing back. So yeah. that's, that's the way he played. He only played one game at right wing back last season, and he's a wing back. Like that looked like why they signed him. Uh, it looked like a good fit. Everyone at the time said that's a good signing. He's a proven Premier League player. Same with Hoiberg. They they looked like smart signings, just intelligent signings. And yeah, for whatever reason, it didn't really work out. And then when Nuno came in, I think a lot of people thought, okay, there we go. Here's his chance. Uh, but I know for a fact that he was told by Nuno straight away that Nuno, he said, I'm playing a back four. I don't know if that was sort of suggested to him, but like Nuno was enforced to do that. But it did seem a strange decision that he never played a back three, having done that at Wolves throughout. And it, he's playing at wing back and he's just much, much better going forward than Emerson Royale. He's probably better defensively as well, but he's much better going forward than Emerson Royale. Um, and yeah, it, this year of the six of players to play six games in the calendar year, he's in the top 10 players in the Premier League for us. He's ninth. Uh, Harry Kane's first, Son is fourth. And his two assists for Kane's goals against Everton were both superb. So, yeah, it's, it's good to see him playing well again because everyone knew he was a good player. It was just a really sort of curious decision not to even give him a chance at right wing back. And I think Josh made the point in a previous episode that maybe once Romero was back while he was out, that gives them the defensive solidity to then play Matt Doherty, to then sort of play the more attacking wing back than Royale. And I think that's proven to be a very good point by Josh Wright. Yeah, well done, Josh. One of the one of the better who scored guys on this podcast. <laughs> are you part are you part of Nuno Circle? You were quite adamant then. I know for fact he said that. It was very, very matter of fact. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know from Nuno's a really good circle. an impressive source as well, but I'm not gonna I'm not, oh, we'll, I'm we'll not gonna give away my sources then. We'll catch up about that after the podcast. <laughs> Nabade. Seems a silly question now, but I'm gonna ask it because it's in the script. If United came in for Harry Kane in the summer, would he make that move? Man, I'm getting lumped with the worst questions here. <laughs> blame blame um, Martin. The Eber, big ones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, would Harry Kane move to United? Man, like in reality, it really is neither. It feels like a good option at this stage. Um, he moves to United and United are still in the situation they're in now where they still have Ronaldo, they still have Pogba, they still have Maguire, they still have these players that are making the papers every single weekend. Does Harry Kane then fit into the way United play? That is actually the biggest Thing for me, I think stylistically, with Bruno playing this number 10 role and constantly picking the ball up and wanting to play the Hollywood pass every time, Harry Kane loves to do that as well. Yeah. I would argue much more effectively than Bruno. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And I actually think United, to make that work, need to bring in wingers in the profile of Son who run beyond the man. And Sancho doesn't. Sancho wants the ball to his feet all the time. Rashford has stopped doing it. Um, and they're practically the only two wingers United have. Alanga does run beyond the ball. Whether I think he'll play every week for United next season, probably not. Um, I think he's just been a bit of a spark this season that they've used. Do I trust Conte to win a trophy before I trust whoever it is at United? Yes, um, <laughs> despite Spurs' record. Um, I know people. a lot of people are like, nah, no way. But um, there is, there's just absolutely no way Conte comes to Spurs and is fine with not winning a trophy. Like the, the fellas having a mood swing every week because he can't control what's happening at that club at the moment. But once he does get control, um, Spurs will start to move in the right direction. The problem is, if City come in, I think City is the more interesting proposition for Harry Kane. Um, I don't think United... I, if, if I'm Harry Kane and United come in for me, I don't even consider it at this point, unless Ronaldo's not there, unless Cavani's mm-hmm. not there, unless Pogba's not there. 
but then that's half of their team gone. <laughs> so, so it's it's an impossible choice for Harry Kane when it comes around to the summer. He just got he's got to pray that City don't get their hands on Haaland or someone in that ilk because then then he will be at Tottenham probably for the rest of his career. Yeah, if Poch goes there in the summer, yeah. which you know then Paris is knockout in midweek. Yeah. You you would expect him to be the Manchester United manager next season if you were putting money on it. Yeah. Obviously, Kane would have the chance then to link up with him, someone yeah. who knows what he's about. They know each other. Yeah. If you ask Potts who's the big, big signing that you want, that's that's who he asked for. And I think United will try and engineer an exit for Ronaldo if they can. And Cavani, Cavani will, will leave, I think. That's a given. So it, I, I agree with Nibade. If, if it, It's reliant on them. Uh, if they go, then then possibly. Because I personally, I don't, I don't see City coming in for him now. I don't, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just not sure about it. So who else comes in for Harry Kane? The only likely candidate is probably Man United. Maybe abroad, but seems unlikely. I think he'll want to break the Premier League goal-scoring record. I think that will be in his mind. Um, so, yeah, it might be of interest if they can ship those out. If they get Pochettino, he might consider it. But, yeah, I think I think Nubade makes a great point. If, you, if you're back in, even if it's Pochettino, if you're back in one of them to, to win a trophy, I'd, I'd go Conte every day of the week just because yeah. in a one-off game, you know he can beat anyone. You know what, though? The the problem really here is that, uh, well, a few problems. Who's going to sign Ronaldo? Um, <laughs> no one's got the money. That's why United yeah. end up with him. And if United go and buy Harry Kane, it's going to be another summer window of people saying they should have bought a holding midfielder. And that yeah. that is, that's actually their problem. And yeah, uh, yeah, I don't think buying Kane is a solution. Yeah. Ronaldo to Newcastle. That's where my money would go. Behind <laughs> oh. 11, Martin. <laughs> so we've got... F- Four Man United players in our combined eleven, based on ratings, league ratings of the season. Uh, we've done it in Tottenham's formation, a three-four-two-one, or the formation they're playing at present. Uh, so the goalkeeper is David de Gea for us, probably not surprising. Uh, the back three, probably more surprising, uh, is Romero, which I don't think is a surprise. Varane, again, not really a surprise. The third centre back is <laughs> you haven't got a lot to choose from, to be fair, but it's Davinson Sanchez who who has been really poor of late, but uh, did improve quite a lot when Conte first came in, I thought. So, yeah, like I said, he makes it mainly because the, the options aren't too strong, to be honest. Uh, the wing-backs are Matt Doherty and Sergio uh, Reguillon. Uh, the midfield two, which I wouldn't be a fan of uh, tactically, but there we go, is Hoiberg and Pogba. And then the two behind Harry Kane. Uh, Fernandez and Son. You were lucky Jonathan's not here with that central midfield. Did you put, put it together? I did. Quite different, actually. I've gone Hugo Lloris goal. I don't think De Gea's been great this season. Uh, although I don't think Lloris's been great either. Um, Lloris keeps passing the ball out of play sideways. It seems really yeah. weird. I watch him. He's trying to kick the ball out for a corner. But De Gea's doing the opposite. He's just giving it to the other team. <laughs> if, if it's distribution, I'd rather play without a keeper. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, then you've got Romero obviously I think it's a given I think he's he's honestly top class uh, I've got Dyer in the middle I think generally mm-hmm. he's been a little better for Spurs um, mm-hmm. but as Martin said there isn't many options and obviously Varane I have also played the 3-4-2-1 uh, I've nice. got Doherty on the right hand side um, his form's been great my midfield two I don't agree with either tactically this team is getting run over um, <laughs> <laughs> I've gone Pogba and Bentanka um, okay. Ho- Hoiberg was pushing Pogba a long way because I wanted to have a team that would actually win football matches. <laughs> um, then I've gone uh, Regulon, uh, uh, left wing back, 
Although Seth Sessignon did push that one as well. He's, um, had, he's been on good form, Sessignon. Shame he's got injured. Yeah, he's he's, had, he's been so unfortunate in his career. Every time he gets going, he keeps picking up injuries. Um, then, of course, I've got Harry Kane up front. And then I've got Son and Sancho uh, in the narrow number 10 positions. I don't think Bruno's been particularly good this season. Martin, what's the bet builder for this one? Yeah, so we've got... Uh, three legs. So we like you, Dan. I know. I know you fancy Tottenham for this one. So do we. Spoiler. Uh, spoil we, the prediction six. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've got Tottenham to win. They've scored ten goals in the last three trips to Old Trafford, but that's with both teams to score. Uh, United have only failed to score in one of their last fourteen home games against Tottenham. So Tottenham to win and both teams to score. Kane to score. Not really any rocket science behind that. Five goals in his last four league appearances, and Luke Shaw to be carded. There's a slight risk. He, he did have COVID. Uh, he's, a, he's a slight doubt, but hopefully he makes it. He's been carded in each of his last three games against Tottenham. So Tottenham to win with both teams to score, Kane to score, and Shaw to be carded has been boosted from 19 to 1 to 25 to 1. Where's no that Harry Kane to be carded? Uh, yeah, Where's that Where no. is it? He got booked last week. Ten, know, should be in again. 10 cards against Man City alone. Ten cards against one team—that's absolutely outrageous. How many times have you played? He's probably like twelve. Uh, only about fourteen, fifteen. Oh my god, that is an incredible stat. That yeah. that is ridiculous. Uh, predictions then. So is Nabai taking over from Jonathan? If Nabai does well, yeah. does Jonathan get the Nubai's points? He's got his predictions. And Jonathan needs yeah. the points. He's he does need the points. Struggles will the bar for Jonathan. Before. I can imagine Jonathan will be pretty missed if I get this wrong. <laughs> no, um, he, he can't say anything to you. He's having no, a rubbish he's, season with yeah, predictions. He's, he's, he's one of the top football journalists out there. Can't predict anything. What's your, <laughs> what's your prediction about it? Uh, well, United have had one loss in the last six against Spurs. So I'm going to go. I'm going to sit on the fence. I think it's going to be 2 2. Um, I, I reckon Kane definitely scores. Bruno scoring a pen as well because Spurs will give a pen away. Martin? Uh, we've gone three one to Tottenham, and I have gone two one to Tottenham. Lovely oh. separation there. Three different predictions. You love to see it. <laughs> Let's catch up now with Sam Boswell and look at the odds ahead of this game. Sam, welcome to the show. Let's talk United Spurs. How are the markets shaping up ahead of that at the weekend? Yeah, hi Dan. Uh, really interesting game this one. Not sure which way I expected to go. Eleven to ten United at home to get the win. Five to two the draw. Nine to four Antonio Conte Spurs. Who? Oh, they're a funny side to try and predict, aren't they? But I do have a bit of a sneaky feeling at some point they'll go on a consistent run and really kick in to try and to sort of turn this team around. They've got too much talent, haven't they? The mm. firepower of Son and Kane. The new signing looks pretty decent as well. Um, obviously, they took apart Leeds the other week, but doesn't seem to be too much of a challenge for anyone to take Leeds apart at the moment. Um, if you think we're going to see plenty of goals in this one, we have boosted the match goals over two and a half uh, to four to five from eight to 11. If you think Man United, as they traditionally tend to do, get the better of Spurs, the half-time, full-time on them to win both is 27-10. to 10. Uh, Son to score a free kick, interestingly a massive price of 55-1. to 1. Uh, But it's a tricky game to call this one, Dan. Are you expecting to see plenty of goals? I mean, if Manchester United defend anywhere near to the low level that they did last weekend, then yes, I would expect Kane and Son to have, to have a field. I, I actually really fancy Spurs but for this game. I think Manchester United, they're going to have flashbacks from, from last week. Spurs will counter-attack. I, I, I think Spurs will cause problems and score goals, to be honest. 
Yeah, four to six draw or Spurs, which is the bet. I think if I'm having a, a short bet, I'd like to take a look at. We've got the player performance markets up there. It'd be fascinating to see if Cristiano Ronaldo returns, but we've got them for Bruno Fernandes as well, who will need a massive game. Jane Sancho, who is the one Man United player recently that I thought has certainly turned a bit of a corner and, and, and was starting to impress. Uh, loads to get involved in on the website. Like I say, it's definitely uh, going to be one of the key games and leads into a really great week of sport. This weekend, loads of Premier League action. But next week, uh, if you're looking to get involved at Cheltenham, do head over to betvictor.com. We'll have loads of special offers uh, for existing customers, including something focused around BetVictor brand ambassador Rachel Blackmore, who last year was top jockey at the festival. She then went on to win the Grand National. Uh, she's an absolute wonder star. And uh, she's got a great ride on day one in the champion hurdle on Honeysuckle. We've got an offer focused around there that would be well worth checking out come Tuesday morning. So do head over to betvictor.com. And whilst it's a busy week of sport, doesn't mean we need to get carried away as ever. We'd urge you to all gamble responsibly and enjoy a great, great time of year. Time now for the Just a Minute section. Nabade, you're going to start us off with Brighton v Liverpool. And I'm going to go cheap at the start to get myself going. It's the Adam Lalana derby. Brighton v Liverpool, one minute for you, Nabade. I'm a little bit concerned for Liverpool. I think we've seen over the last few games, a wobbly against Inter Milan. I was at that game. It felt like Liverpool were sort of going through the motions of being this side that everybody expects to win every week. West Ham, again, the same. Intelligent uh, in terms of playing against the offside trap. And then Chelsea as well. On the flip side, you've got a Brighton side that have only scored 26 goals this season, which is so poor for a side that play such good football. And if you've watched Brighton, you almost feel like they score a lot of goals because their XG is always so high. But the second they get anywhere near the box, somebody has a has a nosebleed. Um, and Brighton have lost to Newcastle and Burnley in two of their last three games. So you would it does feel as though Liverpool should win this game, but Liverpool do struggle sometimes against Brighton. Two draws in their last three. Do I back Liverpool to beat Brighton? Purely on the basis of Liverpool played in first gear against Inter Milan, I would back Liverpool to squeeze past Brighton. But I think it'll be a much more entertaining game than most probably think. Brighton always play expressive football. Uh, I think Adam Lallana's injured, unfortunately, so I don't think he's going to be playing. Um, but if he does, he always makes a difference for Brighton. Man City will be watching this very closely, you know. I've got a feeling Pep is, if Pep is smelling that Liverpool might trip up on this one. I'm going to go Brighton 1, Liverpool 2. Brighton 1, Liverpool 2. Martin? I've gone convincing. 3-0 win. Not, not convinced by Brighton of late. I think things are turning yeah. a little bit sour for... For Graham Potter recently, and they've they've booed him when they've played well in the, they've booed the team off when they've played well in the past, and the results have really taken a turn. So, yeah, we think Liverpool, like Nubed, Nubed said, they played in played well within themselves. I thought against Inter, so yeah, I think they'll bounce back. Yeah, I've gone Brighton nil, Liverpool to Brighton. Just one of those teams. I don't think they'll even try and go near Van Dijk. They're useless in front of goal for two 0 <laughs> to Liverpool. Your first game to preview is Brentford v Burnley. Marty, complete waste of time. Don't even bother asking me about a derby for that one. <laughs> I'm <just preview> the <laughs> game. Uh, so Brentford earned their first win in eight league games with a vital three points at Norwich, uh, and have an equally huge opportunity to distance themselves from the relegation zone here. Christian Eriksen uh, made his first start since suffering cardiac arrest last summer, but played the ninety minutes. Uh, while Ivan Tony's hat-trick means he has now scored in each of his last four starts, either side of injury. Key midfielder Christian Norgard is a doubt for the host, and that could be a big miss. Christopher Ayer could also miss out, which could enforce a switch to a back four. Meanwhile, Burnley are still without captain Ben Mee. His absence really felt against Chelsea. They've also not seen much from, from Corne since his return from AFCON, so seeing him drop to the bench last time out. 
Uh, Ashley Barnes is back available. So who partners uh, Veghorst is perhaps the biggest dilemma for Daesh. With some pressure needing to be alleviated on him, I think he's he's hit a little bit of a barren run, but he's playing well. Sean Dice's side are unbeaten in their last three away games and have won each of the last five meetings with Brentford, last losing in this fixture in the old second division back in 1997. A lot has changed for both clubs since, but defeat for either team here could spell real trouble as they bid to avoid slipping back down the pyramid. Uh, we are going for a 2-1 away win, Burnley. I've gone for 1-1. Nabad? I'm going to go nil-nil. I don't think either of these teams are going to score. I think it's, it's going to be a terrible game of football. <laughs> it's got KJ written all over it, hasn't it? Yeah, hasn't it? This one. If ever a game is going to be described as KJ, I think it would be this one. Now, I'll tell you what, whilst you were talking, Martin, I've absolutely pulled one for the brink. Go on. Chelsea v Newcastle. The Celestine Babiaro does. Yeah, I like that. Oh, very and good. I pulled that from nowhere whilst Martin was talking. I was so <laughs> pleased with myself. The producer would have been watching me thinking, what is he smiling at? Because what Martin done is really boring. <laughs> I was smiling at Celestine Babiaro. Chelsea v Newcastle the bad one minute. I'm just going to put it out there. I don't know if this is true, but I feel like Jeremy played for Yeah, Chelsea I was going to say the Newcastle. same thing. Jeremy, I think. Yeah. I do enjoy it when you get one. Yeah, he did. He did. So, yeah. um, Chelsea Newcastle, two of the most informed teams in the league, um, both unbeaten in five, which you wouldn't have thought would be the case with Newcastle with the form they were in. Eddie Howe is doing an outstanding job yeah. that we're almost not talking about because Newcastle apparently have money, but. He, he spent very smartly, not just him alone, but Newcastle generally bringing in Dan Bernkier and Trippier, uh, Matt Target, and they've been three of their best players, albeit Trippier is now injured. Uh, and also, Callum Wilson is back in May, uh, and I, I'm pretty confident he'll come in and score three and three. Uh, and I, if I'm completely honest, they're probably looking up the table now rather than below them. They're 10 points ahead of Burnley. They're only two points behind Southampton. Um, sorry, four points behind Southampton. They're in a really good position. On the flip side... I feel like Chelsea are playing for nothing now. For, from at the start of the season, a lot of people talking about them being title contenders. Chelsea have now become sort of title pretenders, um, guaranteed top four. They seem to have found a bit of form. Uh, no Reese James. Um, that will be a bit, bit of a blow for them. I've got a feeling Newcastle could get a big result out of Chelsea here and probably cement their status in the Premier League and start to look towards next season. They'll be on 34 points. I don't think anybody below them is catching 34 anytime soon. So I'm going to go Newcastle 2, Chelsea 1. Wow. That is a big call. Jonathan is not going to be happy with that. That is a massive <laughs> shout. You can tell he's not. You can tell he's not on every word. Just coming here making outlandish predictions. Yeah. <laughs> no, no effect too. It doesn't matter what happens. Martin, what have you scored gone for? Uh, we've we've gone one all. So yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. Fan, I fancy Newcastle to get something. And I've gone for Chelsea 2, Newcastle 1. So again. Three different ones. Exciting this week. Usually we all predict the same things this week. It's exciting. <laughs> Martin, Everton v Wolves, my least favourite footballer, the Jolly and Lescott Darby. Uh, Frank Lampard will no doubt be delighted to be back at Goodison after another chastening defeat away at Tottenham. It's becoming increasingly clear that Ever if Everton are to avoid relegation, they need to rely on the home support. Uh, Michael Keane's now a doubt and Mina's still sidelined, so the potential return of Ben Godfrey can't come soon enough. Lampard's already bemoaning a lack of options at the back. Uh, Raul Jimenez has never failed to score in a game against Everton. He scored in five of five against the Toffees, including the match winner in a reverse fixture. He was back on both the score sheet and the team sheet in midweek, having been somewhat surprisingly left out of back-to-back -back games. Pedro Neto made his first start of the season last weekend and followed that positive step by signing a new five-year contract on his 22nd birthday in the week. Last season, he was the only player in the entire league to average at least two shots, two key passes and two dribbles per game. 
really exciting player. So tying him down for the long term is a big boost. Wolves thumping win over Watford following three successive defeats. May not claw them back into the race for European spots, but did prove they've not given up just yet. That said, there's no doubt Everton have more to play for and will go out for the win after results went their way in the week. But we're going for a one-all draw here. I've got Everton nil, Wolves two. Nabad? I've got Everton nil, Wolves one. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much. Uh, next up is Leeds v Norwich, and he comes good for me every week. The Rob Green derby, Leeds v Norwich, Nabad. <laughs> I'm once again going to throw it out there without actually knowing for sure. Darren Huckabee? He's definitely going for Newcastle. I feel like yeah. he's going for Leeds. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he did. yeah that's a good Pretty one. Good. Like that. I'll take that. I'll take that. Like that uh, Leeds, one win in nine. Uh, if they don't win this, it really does feel like they're in the relegation dogfight for real. I still think Leeds fans and Everton fans in particular will be thinking we're kind of in this relegation dogfight, but we're good enough to stay up. Um, but their form has been atrocious. I thought Jesse Marsh would come in and they'd actually do something. Uh, they were awful against Aston Villa. That, that felt like a decent fixture with Villa sort of being a little bit up and down here and there. Um, but they just turned up and rolled over, basically. And Raf- I don't know what's happened to Rafinha. It feels like he's gone from the star boy to now like, he was practically that left wing back uh, against Villa. So um, they're struggling. But they've got Patrick Bamford back. And I do feel for Leeds. They've had no Bamford or, Cal- Cal- Bamford or Calvin Phillips practically for the duration of the season they've just they've conceded too many goals 64 goals conceded Norwich on the flip side 17 points four off the drop five off the drop if they win this a they've grabbed leads into this relegation dogfight and b they've dragged themselves back into the race of staying up um so I'm gonna go 2-2 Martin the who scored guys uh the who scored guys are going for 2-0 to Leeds nearly said Norwich there Leeds 2-0 Leeds Leeds clean sheet <laughs> yeah, that does seem like. <laughs> I've, I've got Leeds to Norwich one, but I have got a sneaky feeling for Norwich having watched. I did these predictions before I watched Villa take Leeds apart last night, so yeah, I can't change it. But I'll go. I'll go Leeds to Norwich one. Uh, Southampton Watford. <sighs> Kelvin Davis play for Watford. I'm gonna have to keep channeling goalkeepers. Just, I have, I have, random second yeah. choice goalkeepers and that's what, that's what I do. That's what, that's what yeah. I'm here for, Martin. I don't have anyone. <laughs> Southampton v Watford. Having suffered back-to-back defeats for the first time since November, Ralph Hasenhutl will be keen for his side to return to winning ways against a wounded Watford side. They'll feel hard done by by the loss to, to an informed Newcastle side, but there is a sense that fatigue could be setting in. This will be Saints' ninth game in the space of 37 days. And changes have been few and far between in that time. So it will be interesting to see if he does rotate, but they don't really have a lot of depth at Southampton. Uh, Watford's collapse at Wolves come as something of a surprise following spirited displays against Man United and Arsenal. If they don't recover quickly, time may well run out on them. Ismail Assar will likely be absent once more, having missed back-to-back games with a thigh injury. From the 13 matches that he's not started, the Hornets have picked up two points. Uh, Josh King now goalless in 14. Dennis scoring just one in 10. Hodgson struggled to get the best from his uh, side's attacking perspective. Uh, They've got a rotten record against Southampton too. Just one win in their last 15 meetings, losing each of the last three. All of their points, though, since the start of December have come away from home. But Southampton's defeat in midweek was only their second at St Mary's all season. So we think they'll have enough firepower to break down Watford. So we're going 2-1 Saints. I've gone for 2-2. Two, two. Nabad? I've gone 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. I did also think of a derby while you were talking, Martin. The Go Kevin on. Phillips derby. Yep. Started. Very good. Did he start at Southampton? Ooh, went to Watford. Did. Yep. Kevin Phillips. 
lovely little footballer, Kevin Phillips. Nabad, your final game to look at is West Ham v Villa, which, of course, my king is the Marlon Harewood Darber. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's the Coutinho versus Declan Rice game, this one. Um, I think without Declan Rice, West Ham are, are not a very great side. They did well against Liverpool, um, but that was purely because Liverpool played quite terribly. Um, and then Coutinho has just been outstanding, and I'm absolutely here for it. I, I remember the first game he played against United, which now feels like it was 12 years ago. Um, and I like jumped off my seat, not because it was against United, but it's because it's Felipe Coutinho. Everybody wants to see a baller doing what he does best. And uh, I think he's been in outstanding form. What's fascinating to me is West Ham have supposedly had this incredible season. But if Villa win, they're within six points with a game in hand. And if Villa win that game, they're within three points of West Ham. Uh, West Ham playing on Thursday looked so leggy against Sevilla. They were really, really poor in the second half. Um, so I think Villa will be licking their lips. They just need to get one of their forwards in form. I think at some point you will run out of goals and you will need Ings and Watkins to eventually start contributing because I'm pretty sure Matty Cash won't be able to do it every single week. Um, but I am going to back Villa for a win. I'm going to go Villa 2, West Ham 1. Don't you dare come on here and talk about Villa pushing for Europe and predicting them to win a <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'm buzzing now. We're going to catch West Ham. Yeah. Villa, Villa for top six, Martin. Who knows? What's the who scored guys prediction? We have actually gone for the exact same. 2-1 Aston Villa. Oh, yeah. and yes. I'm, wait, I haven't gone for Villa to win. Mm. I've gone for 1-1. But I do think the bad's right. I do think West Ham look leggy. I watched that game before the Villa game last night. I do think they're quite leggy at the moment. So, yeah, could be an interesting game. Martin, how did we get on with predictions last week? And what's the league table looking like? Uh, level pegging last week. All got seven. Pretty average oh, scores. Not bad. Um, seven out of ten. No, well, oh, I think it was seven my... points. Seven points is poor. No, it was seven points. But oh. it was because there were no correct scores. For what it's worth, uh, New Bay, you get three points for a correct score. One point if you get the outcome. So Jonathan and who scored both got seven out of ten outcomes, but no correct scores. As ever, Dan pulls out a correct score. Always does. Previous week, he got four correct scores in one game. He's done that three it. times. Three times this season, he's got four correct scores in a week. Oh, this is the only thing I'm good at. Literally, the only, the only thing I'm good at is predictions. That is absolutely absurd. I know. What's, what's the league table then looking like, Martin? Oh, your streaks ahead for that reason. Um, Jonathan, like I said, Jonathan way back, New Bay. So the pressure is not really on in that respect. If you can claw back any dignity, then you, you've done him a real favour. <laughs> so yeah, I think he's about 15 points back. He's kind uh, of pride at this point, Jonathan. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, it looks in the bag, but you never know, Dan. Don't be complacent, mate. I'm not going to be. I think about this all week. It's the only thing I think about. <laughs> we've got some bookings bingo as well. Bookings bingo is back, Martin. Bookings bingo is back. So we've asked each of you to pick out a player that you think will be booked uh, in one of Sunday's 2 p.m. kickoffs because there's five Sunday 2 p.m. kickoffs this week. Of course. Um, so, who scored? I'll start by saying who scored did pick Joe Ellington before he missed the game last night through injury. I was then sending my tip off to Bet Victor and I picked Junior Furpo. He went off on a stretcher. So, <laughs> this is pick number three for who scored is Mohamed Salasu. Uh, to be carded. No player's been carded more in the Premier League this season than Salasu's nine, so he's our pick. Uh, Nubade, you've gone for Alan of Everton. Um, yeah, he's constantly in little niggles. Somehow escapes yeah. yellow cards after about 15 fouls, but he does, weekend, yeah. I'm confident he's getting yeah, he's been He has been booked in four of his last six league appearances. So yeah, I did a, a bet builder on Monday that involved Alan getting booked. Didn't get booked. Didn't get booked, no, so, yeah. yeah. 
Okay. And I'll put Tyrone Mings. Tyrone Mings. Mings. He yep. struggles against a physical opponent and up against Antonio's he'll probably be. I just he'll just get involved in a wrestling match at some point yep. and get booked. So that's he's booked again. One. Booked again last night. That was his eighth booking of the season. Six yep. of those have come away from home. So yeah, Mings, Alan, and Salasu to be carded. The treble on that was thirty-eight to one. It's been boosted by Bet Victor to forty-five to one. So a big price. Oh, I am on that all day. <laughs> Every day of the week, I'm on that. That is a that's a good one. I like that. Well done, Bet Victor. That's very generous, Bet Victor. Very generous <laughs> of them. Let's look at Arsenal v Leicester now. Now, Nabaid, if Arsenal get top four, Martin wants to know: Is Arteta the manager of the season contender? Definitely, I think for the resources he has and for the football they play, I think that's for me. I, I, obviously, stats is like the biggest thing in the world at the moment. Um, but stylistically, they play probably the third best football in the league. I would argue. I don't find Chelsea very entertaining to watch, um, and that, then I'd say Liverpool and Manchester City play the most entertaining football, so they'd come in third. Um, I think also in terms of the way he's had to find players to just plug gaps. Cedric Suarez has suddenly started playing well. Um, obviously, he had to play Nuno Taveras whilst Kieran Tierney was injured. He's then had to play multiple centre-back combinations. They've bought, they've signed well. He's got an £80 million winger that doesn't get in his side. He's he's finding great results out of Martin Odegaard. And I, I really want to push for the pass before the pass to become mm. a thing. Um, the Callum Chambers. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> I was going to say the David Silva, but you know. Um, Similar players. Similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Martin Odegaard has just been unbelievable for him. And they're practically playing without a forward with no disrespect to Lacazette. He's not someone who's putting the goal, you know, putting the ball in the back of the net. And I think Arteta's saying that the priority is a man who puts the ball in the back of the net uh, is what they want for next season. So if they finish in the top four, which really and truly they should at this point, 48 points, Three games in hand, a point ahead of United. The the, the math, do the maths. Like, <laughs> they, they, they should really make top four. They have got some tough fixtures coming, uh, but I absolutely love Mikel Arteta, so I'm, I'm praying for Arsenal to, to squeeze the top four spots. I will say, Martin, the bad knows what he's doing, doesn't he? Tipping Villa for Europe, bigging up stats. <laughs> this, guy, this, this guy wants to come back. <laughs> he knows what show he's on. <laughs> What's impressed you most about Arsenal, Martin? I think the fact that there's there's no real egos in this squad anymore. There's no over-reliance on any players either, which I think is really impressive. Uh, I think you've seen Smith-Rose dropped out at times and Erdegaard or Martinelli and Saka, they've all they've all picked up the slack. And I think that's been the case even with Tommy Asu who's been out. And again, Nubade said, Cedric's come in and done a job. Uh, they, they, like I said, they don't, they don't really have any real star players, but he's just fostered a real like sense of team there. And they're a really good age profile. So to have that, to, to be performing the way they are with a very young squad, without a striker, I think Lacazette does a, does a really good really job. that's really harsh on Lacazette. I think he's I sacrificing know, without his own a goal game. Scorer, without, without a goal yeah. scorer, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said without a striker, but he, uh, yeah, Lacazette he does see you. Yeah. yeah, he does a he does a good job for them. Like he's actually got more assists since he got the captaincy from from Aubameyang than any other player in the league. He's got seven assists. His link up on Sunday was very good. Yeah, he's, but it, on the flip side, he's had the most shots in twenty twenty two without scoring a goal. <laughs> so yeah, you do get that. But he's apparently really really good with the young players in the squad as well. So I think he's a really important player. Someone they they should give another year to at least. Uh, and be a squad player again rather than the main man up front. But yeah, the, just the fact that they're, I think that's the difference between them and the rest of the sort of chasing pack for that top four. They don't rely, like you can see someone drop out and they'll still, they'll still pick up the slack. I think, I don't think you can see that with West Ham. They've got star players. 
Bowen misses out or Rice misses out, they're in trouble. Uh, Tottenham, Kane or Son, then they're screwed. Uh, and United, maybe less so, but even Fernandez, someone like that drops out and they're in trouble. But Arsenal don't really have that. And I think that's United have someone dress a, drop out, someone equally as bad just comes in. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You'd probably say Saka's maybe their star man, but he's not levels above the likes of Erdegaard, Smith Rowe. They're they're all on a relatively even level. So I think they're in a really good place. So ask about Saka. Nabaid, he's lethal finisher, Saka. It's a yeah, quite underrated facet of his game. Just taking his game to the next level. Uh, and I think mm. he, he needed it reminds me a lot of Arteta working with Sterling actually at City. Um I remember when I was working closely with a few people in and around the club. A lot of people were saying, obviously, it's Pep that you see giving the message, but actually it's Arteta doing the one-to-one stuff with Sterling. Um, and I can see some similarities in how he's mm. receiving the ball and where he seems to be popping up. Mm. And he, he's he's gone from almost like being an explosive winger, which he still does, which is brilliant because it's such a good asset in his game, uh, to now perking up back post when anything lands in there. Uh, and his stats this season speak for himself. So I think currently he he is in he is probably Arsenal's main man. Um, but like Martin said, like nail on the head, um, what Arteta's done brilliantly is he's built a squad where nobody is the main man, and which is why he let go of players like Aubameyang, which is why he's let go of other characters, and which is why he's kept people like Xhaka in there. He needs players who um, will do a job for you and don't think that they don't have to do a job for you against certain teams. Every game Arsenal have played, they tend to give absolutely everything. Um, but on the point of Saka, I think his game's just gone to a new level. Yeah, some people talking about Arsenal at the start of the season look very, very silly now. Now, Martin, I presume you'd had a few sherbets when you did the last section of, of this script on Arsenal there, Leicester. <laughs> if injuries hadn't derailed their season, would Leicester be in the top four mix? I'm going to let you talk about that, Martin. No, I think they would, because for much of the season, nobody's really wanted it. It's only Arsenal, really, who've, who've really kicked on of late. So I think, if like obviously, Leicester basically had, a, at a time, they've had their, their entire back four out. They've just tied down Pereira, Justin and Fofana to new long-term deals in recent weeks, which I think is a good idea, but could be a bit of a risk considering how how many injuries all those players have had, like serious injuries those players have had. But also the the sort of defensive absences that they've had have sort of overlooked the fact that Vardy's been out for, for a period as well. And even though he's 36, I believe, you still see when he plays just how important he is and how much of a threat he is. Nobody wants to play against Jamie Vardy. He's an absolute pest. Uh, so they've only they've only picked up two points from the last six matches that he's missed, and he's out again, unfortunately. And his record against Arsenal is excellent. He scored more goals against Arsenal than any other team, so that is a massive boost for Arsenal, massive blow for Leicester. So I do think they do that their squad, if they've got everyone fit, is comfortably better than West Ham's, for example, and probably like is better on the whole than the likes of Tottenham, who obviously have star players. But if you take away those two. I'll take Leicester's the rest of their squad and then put Tottenham's two strikers up front, basically. So I think I think they would be in the mix just because there hasn't been like there hasn't been a great deal of quality from the teams that are vying for that spot since and until Arsenal have, have sort of taken it on of late. Okay, you've justified yourself. I'll, I'll allow you. it. I think Leicester kept three <laughs> clean sheets in, in a row as well, which you don't really associate with their season because they have been shambolic at times at the back. Martin, what's the who scored prediction for this one? Very good question. Uh, we are going for 2-1 to Arsenal. 2-1 to Arsenal in the bed. Arsenal 2-0. I'll go Arsenal 2-0. I've gone 2-0 to Arsenal as well. Yeah, I think they're going to get top four, aren't they? Like Martin says, no one else really seems to want it. Final game we're going to look at is Palace v Man City. Aside, really, Martin, that 
have had a bit of a hex over Man City at times. If every team yeah. Man City are going to be worried about, I think it might be Crystal Palace. The one thing I said, obviously, they got a result earlier in the season as well, which sort of negates this point a bit. They were more of a counter-attacking side in the past, and I think that's where they posed a threat to Man City uh, in the past. But this season, less so. But certainly, they were, and they won't. They won't see that as an issue in this game. They will be. They will set up in that way, and obviously, they did a job in the reverse game. So yeah, they're, they're, they're a really threatening side and they've got good, exciting attacking players that are, that are playing well again. Now they've been a bit on and off. They drew a lot of games, didn't they? Uh, picked up a lot, uh, a little bit lately. So I think a lot of people would say maybe they haven't got the results that they've deserved. They should be possibly top 10 or sort of comfortable mid table rather than they're not looking over their shoulder, but they're sort of, what are they? 12th, 13th. Mm. So yeah, I think I think it's been a really successful first season for Vieira. There's a lot to build on there, and he's built a squad again, similarly to Arsenal, really good age profile. So yeah, we'll come on to him in a bit, I'm sure. But uh, I think Elise's had a really good impact, really um, good debut season. So yeah, great player. They look they look promising. Talking of great players, Nabade, one of my mates put out in midweek on Twitter that Kevin De Bruyne is the best midfielder the Premier League has ever seen. Would you go along with that? Ever. That's what he oh, said. It's big, isn't it? My best ever midfielder is David Silver, and that won't really change. Oh, I love um, that. He just doesn't have the stats, and I think as the game yeah. becomes more around stats, players like David Silver will just naturally fade. Um, but I think he was so consistent for so long. It was like se- seven years, maybe. I can think of just off the top of my head, where I think every single season, David Silver was running the show for City. Um, has De Bruyne done that for... Every season, probably not because he's had injuries, which is not his fault. Um, I think peak De Bruyne is better than peak David Silva, but yeah. peak over a long period of time, David Silva for me is the best midfielder to have ever played in the Premier League in my in my time. Before people start pulling out names from 1994, <laughs> I was born in 1992. I can't talk about players from then. Um, he's 92. So, <laughs> yeah, sorry, Dan. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, David Silva for me. I think Kevin De Bruyne is an outstanding footballer, though. He's one of those players that really makes you purr when he's on form. Um, I think even his two finishes against Man City, sorry, against Manchester United, showed you the level of quality he has where everything he does is at such a controlled level yeah. and nothing feels erratic with him, which is very unique for a midfielder who's got a high volume of assists and, and sometimes goals. But um, And especially in a team where he's the one who gets the license to hit it into the box whenever he wants or play a killer pass. Um, but he does it very effectively. I had to tell you, you're wrong, because Philip Coutinho is the best midfielder of the Premier <laughs> Martin, where is De Bruyne in the form rankings this week? I say second behind Kane. And I, th- I think that's the debate, isn't it? If, you, if you're going to ask who's, who's the sort of best player in the league, you're looking at De Bruyne, Kane and Salah, aren't you, as the, as the three and they're probably a, a level ahead. Uh, Kane, if he's on form, that is, obviously, which he is at the moment. Um, and so, yeah, Salah, Salah's our top-rated player in the league this season by quite a distance. But if you look at starts alone, the gap between him and De Bruyne, who moves up to second, is really, really narrow. Uh, De Bruyne did make five sub-appearances, didn't have any sort of goal contributions in those sub-appearances. Uh, so, yeah, it's really, really tight between those two this season, I think. Um, Salah's had a little bit of a not a wobble but obviously sort of before AFCON and since he's actually failed to score or assist in 12 of his last 18 for club and country and he was scoring and assisting in literally every game before that so it's it's understandable that he's had a, a drop off from those levels that are unsustainable but I think where 
<laughs> with the likes of Diaz and uh, Jota being able to rotate in and stuff, they just Liverpool just they're set, aren't they? They've just got every base covered in attack. So if Salah is does have a slight off day, then it really doesn't matter <laughs> for Liverpool. They're that they're that good. Now you wanted to talk about Elise Martin, yeah. Look at Eze at the club as well. Kind of gets forgotten about at times. He's obviously had injury worries this season. Yeah. Difficult to fit them to Zahar. There's a, there's a wealth of attacking options for Patrick Vieira. Yeah, I think I think that Elise signing was like, and the Eze, even the Eze signing was with the sort of mindset that Zahar might kick off again and might want to leave. Because uh, it, it does become difficult to fit all three of those players in. And Eze obviously had a really good first season. I thought his first season was actually a little bit overrated. Uh, it got a lot of hype, but the numbers didn't really back it up, certainly. Uh, I thought he had a really encouraging first season for a young player, but he wasn't sort of set in the world alight. I think Elise's first season, now that he's actually playing regularly, is probably a little bit more impressive. Uh, he's got two more assists than any other Palace player, despite the fact he's only started nine league games. Uh, he's got five assists in that time. So yeah, that's followed on from 12 last season in the Championship. He's got really good delivery into the box, which I think is different, and that, that's what Palace need. Last season, when you consider Palace, their strikers, Benteke and Mateta in particular, both tall strikers, target men type strikers. Edouard's good in the air as well if you get balls into the boxes. Uh, Palace were last last season for crosses. <laughs> Just doesn't make any sense. And then they sold Andros Townsend, who was their only player who really got balls into the box. So Elise's really sort of taken up that role and his delivery is is sort of a key asset now and will be moving forwards. On Eze, he's, he's been fit sort of nominally fit at least since November he's only started once since then and he's been an unused sub in the last four which would concern me a little bit one of those games was the FA Cup as well Mm. couldn't even get on in the FA Cup so there's something there obviously they're still concerned about his fitness I'd imagine but yeah whether they can fit all those players in because Zaha's picked up again of late is a question for for next season or how how they make that work. Mateta bizarrely back in favour. Yeah, he's yeah out of nowhere. Goals, Mateta's now the now the star yeah. man, yeah, the star striker. Yeah. And what's your prediction, Martin? Uh, we have gone for three one to Man City. Three one to Man City in the bad. I'm not going to be popular for this. I'm sorry, Jonathan. I've gone one one. <laughs> oh God, Jonathan is going to be <laughs> seething. I've gone wild. Palace two, Man City four. Absolute Ooh, wild prediction. The kind of wild prediction you can make when you're running away with the <laughs> top of the day, but you can afford to have these things going on. That's what I've gone for. That does us for this week's show. Thanks ever so much for tuning in. Thanks to Nabade for subbing in for Jonathan. We hopefully we'll see you again at some point. Although that would mean Jonathan not being here, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. But it's been good <laughs> to have you on. Anyway, I guess thank you. Yeah, it was it was a it was it was definitely a compliment. I mean, he might not want you on again after some of those predictions, but we'll see how they get on <laughs> after the weekend. Thanks to the Who Score guy Martin as well. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on, so that you never miss a podcast. Have a great weekend. Enjoy all the football, and as ever, stay safe.